Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, uh, given a long time ago uh, to Moses and the Israelites. Uh, and I pray that you would open our hearts today to truths that you have to tell us from your word, and that we'd be open to receive them, and that we'd be uh, just changed and, and cut to our hearts and, and moved uh, to follow and obey you even, even more. I thank you for who you are and, and what you are. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. My name is Tom Miller. I'm stepping in for Pastor Brian, who is on vacation. Um, I am a high school teacher. That's my day job. So, um, that's my. I don't preach a lot. So, hopefully, well, enjoy it today. We'll we'll see how it goes. As you may know, these verses represent God's covenant through Moses to the people of Israel. They are kind of a repeating and reestablishing of the covenant that was given to Abraham back in the day in Genesis chapter 12, which we'll look at later. Don't worry about that. But I want you to notice that the covenant is first founded on grace. Uh, the part I kind of butchered a little bit when I read it. Verse 4 said, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Like, that is the, the foundation of what's coming next. And if, you know, I told you I'm a teacher, but if I were into, like, Christian wall art or posters or bumper stickers, I would love this phrase. It talks about eagle's wings and being born on them. It's very poetic, very beautiful. But beyond that, it's more important because it is that foundation. It is the reason that God is coveting with his people, and that's the reason that we'll see everything uh, that's coming next. And so we see, in fact, in verse 5, it says, now therefore, dot, dot, dot. And so you see, because of the grace I showed you, now therefore. And so we're going to spend uh, most of our time in that. But before we do that, I want to think about this foundation and what that means for us as well. Um, you know, in our scripture reading today, Josue read from Ephesians 2. And he talked about we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right, in which we used to walk, um, you know, under the prince of the power of the air, dot, dot, dot. But God, in his great mercy, and it, it's very similar or analogous to uh, Israel and their exodus um, from Egypt. And so if we were to read that, for us it might be something like, you yourselves have seen what I, can, what I did this is God speaking, to your sin self and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's kind of the modern day, I guess, translation of it. So put that on your wall or on your bumper sticker. But anyway, this is the background for what comes next. And so verse 5, if you were to look at that, it reads, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and so the condition obey god that's what israel is to do and then god's our thing his promises to israel three things right he said he said a, a nation a treasured possession among all the peoples he said a kingdom priesthood a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And so there are three kind of promises that go from that. Uh, if you keep going to Exodus, there are probably two more promises in later chapters, but we're going to actually focus on one promise today. 
So instead of camping out on this whole text, a lot of rich, deep stuff to say in it, we're going to speak about the kingdom of priests, uh, Proverbs number two. And um, it's funny, up to this point in the Bible, we, we've heard about a couple of priests, right? We heard about Melchizedek. He was priest and king of, of Salem, which is probably Jerusalem, uh, precursor to Jerusalem. We also heard about Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who was a priest to, to Midian, to a country. We also heard about uh, Joseph's father-in-law. His name was Potiphar. He's was priest of a city in Egypt called An. Anyway, we have this background on priests, but up to this point, we've seen nothing regarding priests in Israel. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, God's saying, you're going to be a king of a priest to me. And so there, there's been no kind of Levitical priesthood directions given out, right? We do, to be fair, see later in this chapter, God kind of referred to priest down in verse, if you have your Bibles open, verse 21 and 22. Um, God said, let the priest who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. And we're not sure what that means. Uh, one commentator I read said, maybe that refers to the firstborn of each family. We're not sure. And that, that does make sense because the firstborn was to be consecrated uh, to God, given over to God. So maybe it means that, but we're not sure. But what we are sure of is that a book later we get this long prescription of what priests are to be in the Bible, right? In Leviticus, the whole, whole book of Leviticus is about priests and purity and stuff like that. But a priest is kind of the main thrust of that. But they didn't have that yet. So, um, yeah, so we're not, we're not sure what that meant there. Anyway, my next question then is, what is a priest? Uh, in the Bible, what is a priest? And for this, again, you have to go on to Leviticus a little bit. But I broke it down into three things, and I, I put them each as, as P words because that seems kind of like a good preacher thing to do. So they're all P words. First thing priests had is they had a privilege. They had a privilege before God. They were, they were chosen, they were specially selected by God to have this intimate access before God, something that other people would not have. And so for Israel, what that meant was that there was one tribe of Israel, or, or one son of Israel, Levi, the fourth son, where his family would be, would be considered priest. Everyone else wouldn't be. In fact, this is actually an interesting point. Those other 11 sons and all their offspring would receive land in Canaan, in the promised land. But that one special son, Levi, guess what he would receive as an inheritance? Not land, not gold, not milk and honey. He would receive God. And so that, again, gets to the privilege of what a priest is. Okay? One privilege, number two, purity. And you see this again in Leviticus. I think in um, Leviticus is interesting because it kind of builds up and then it, it kind of crescendos back down or it comes back down. But on the, on the beginning side, you talk about the purity of priests um, as it relates to kind of what they wear and how they're to be consecrated to do the offerings and stuff like that. There's like special rituals and whatnot. And then kind of on the downside in Leviticus 21 and 22, you see how priests are to be upright in their character, integrity, stuff like that. Okay, so 
Uh, they had to be holy, morally pure, people of integrity. Uh, so privilege, purity. But number three is purpose. And this is what you might, you might think of precess as well, because in Leviticus, they spent a while on this. In fact, the first seven chapters, is it seven? Yeah, uh, speak about like the different sacrifices that the priests give, right? They give, they give sin offerings, they give guilt offerings, peace offerings, bird offerings, wave offerings, you name it, they do it, right? They have a lot of offerings they give, and there's special ways to do it. So there's a certain way to, to approach their job. Uh, by the way, like I said, Leviticus kind of goes up and down. The middle, the, the apex of Leviticus is on the Day of Atonement, right? Which was the day, I don't know if you remember, but there are like two goats brought in, and Aaron, Aaron kills the one, and then he prays over the other one. And what he prays is that I put the sins of the people of Israel on this goat, and then he sends it in the wilderness, and it's, it's gone. It's, it's bearing the sins of the people, which is, as we know, it's a precursor to Christ. But that's kind of the, the main point of Leviticus, that he's, uh, the priests are helping, in fact, let me, let me do this, Let's see if this stands for us. No, it doesn't. Okay, let's do this. I have two hands, so I can only do two things. So this is something, this is something, this is something. What you notice is that the priests, we'll say this is priest are always a go-between between people and God. They're, they're, they're interceding for the people. They are atoning for people. They're making people right before God. But priests, as a purpose, always have two parties. They have the God party, the, the thing that they're praying out to, and then they have the, the people they're praying to. The reason you have the Levitical priesthood is because there were 11 other tribes that needed to be right with God. And so when we talk about the purpose of the priesthood, it's to make people right before God. They had privilege, they had purity, but their purpose was to intercede on behalf of others, was to make, make a way there, right? Um, now, a question for you, and this is my question, does it make sense, and I want to re return now to our text, which is Exodus 19, verse 1 through 6. In verse 6, it talked, um, it talked about Israel, verse 5, I guess I should say, Israel being a kingdom of priests. Does it make sense for the priest to be priests for themselves to God? Like everything else, there's, there's a people they're priests for, and there's a, a God they're priesting for if you will. And now, now I want you to get this, because this is kind of the main point of the sermon, and this is something I think we often miss uh, when we look at um, what priests are. In fact, not even what priests are, but what the Old Testament God is. Um, God, at this point, chose his people, Israel, in fact, let's go back to this analogy, chose Israel to be a priest between himself, God, and other people. That was what they were for. That was Israel's purpose. And we, we get this wrong. We, we think that, oh, the God of the Old Testament had his people, had his people Israel, and they kind of were in that holy huddle worshiping God. 
But all along, God has had a, a missional heart, if you want to say that. He's wanted people from the world to, to worship him. He, he, wanted, he wanted Israel to be that, that priest, that kingdom of priests. Now, before you think I'm making this up, let me give you a couple more texts to consider. And I want you to look uh, specifically in these texts for kind of a, a growth or, let's say, crescendo again. Up to the point where God is being worshipped by the nations. And again, I gave you one text, the Exodus 19 text, but I'm going to give you three more. And they're each kind of breadcrumbs along the way so you can see God's missional heart. The first one in Genesis 12, back to the beginning, right? And we could go further back than this if you want to. It goes back to the garden, by the way. But I'll start in Genesis 12. Uh, God's talking to Abram, right? He hasn't changed his name to Abraham yet. But he says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And it builds Stay with me. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then the final part, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Genesis 12. So let me skip through Exodus. Let me skip on to Psalm 67, written by uh, David, uh, another great, great prophet in the Bible. And Psalm 67 is interesting because it like Leviticus, kind of goes up and down. It has the, the main point of the chapter. It's a seven-verse chapter, so you have one, two, three, four, and then back down. I'll just read going up today. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let the peoples praise you. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And so again, you see this. God, God was a missional God. He cared about all the people of the earth. And so they have more of these breadcrumbs. God leaving that trail about his, his character. Let me give you one more. <laughs> In Isaiah chapter 56, he's talking about foreigners. And he said, I will bring them to my holy mountain. Verse 7, if you're reading along. I'll bring foreigners, I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my altar, I'm sorry, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. So again, you have these more, more breadcrumbs. And the last one, of course, you remember, is the one that, that Jesus, when he was cleansing the temple in the New Testament, cleaning the tem temple out, uh, it's the text he brought up when he had beef with those people in the temple, right? And Jesus' point was that this house, this, this worship house, was to be a place for all people. But you're taking this place where the Gentiles were, the court of the Gentiles, and you're doing other stuff. You're making money on it. And so God, the missional God, given his missional mandate, Israel wasn't doing it. They just were not doing it. And so in summary, up to this point, Exodus 
expresses God's desire for his people to be a kingdom of priests, which points to his desire to be God of all nations, not just Israel. He has always been a missionary God. This was always the case. God always desired the people from outside his flock to know him. From eternity past to eternity future. Are you with me? I assume that means yes. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, This this gets us up to the present time. We may look at this text and say, so what? But I want you to look with me at a text in the New Testament, um, how the Apostle Peter applied these verses. And so we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, But you, and listen for it, because it has very Exodus 19 language here. It's cool. He says, But you are a chosen priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may be blessed for the rest of your life. Now you should be be getting upset at me, because that's not what it says. Let me try it again. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a pupil for his own possession, so that you'll be the envy of everyone else. That's not what it says. Let me try it one more time. Three is a charm. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race. And this is to Christians, right? He's applying Exodus 19 to Christians. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for us, own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me summarize. But you are all these things so that you may proclaim God. Martin Luther, living about 500 years ago, right? He observed lots of things wrong with the Catholic Church. <laughs> I think like 100 or something like that. 99, right? I'm not going to say all this. But one of them was the belief that you needed a priest, a, a kind of a contemporary human priest to be, your, to be your person that made you right with God. You needed someone else. But Luther looked at the Bible and said, we don't need that priest to intercede for us. We don't need that contemporary human priest to, to make us right with God. Why is that? We, we have Jesus, Right? And Hebrews, I think like three chapters, kind of goes into this and talks about how, hey, Jesus, this, this guy Jesus lived a perfect life. And he died, and he came back to life, and he was the perfect high priest. It said he went through the heavens. And so we don't need a human priest. We don't need a whatever the religion is. We don't need a priest that stands between us and God. We have that in Jesus Christ. He is the one that intercedes to God. He is the one... He is the true one of privilege. He is the true, pure one. He is the true one that has fulfilled his purpose, right? He brought us to God. We had that. And so Martin Luther 
uh, readily pointed that out. And, uh, these things are true, and these are awesome. Praise God for these. And this doctrine, by the way, has been called the priesthood of all believers. And it's been known and endear, uh, held dearly by Protestants ever, ever since the Reformation. And so again, I want to point out those three things that, that, that we as priests, sorry, we as priests have a privilege, uh, have a special intimate access to God. We as priests are called to be holy. We, we have a call to purity. It was number two, privilege purity. Number three, we also have a purpose. But we cannot forget this. So I think it's one we forget. We, we, we remember privilege, and we cannot understand that we're supposed to be pure, but we have a purpose, right? And that purpose, namely, is to proclaim God's name to all nations to help bring others into a right relationship with God. Uh, and we saw it even again, kind of going back to our scripture reading in Ephesians 2, hosts we read for us. All that good stuff happens so that we do good works. That's our purpose statement, found on verse, I think it's like verse 8 or 9 or 10 or something like that. As I work from home now, I've become more proactive in trying to get up and out and get exercise in because then I huddle over my computer all day. So early in the morning, I've been out doing walks, and I, I came across this guy, a neighbor of mine uh, up the street. His name was Lee, and he's out, he's out walking his dog every morning. His dog named Papa Chula, and you can ask, uh, where does Josue go? You can ask Josue what that means. It's kind of funny, actually. Anyway, one morning, he was, we were talking. We, after I saw him like four days at like six o'clock in the morning, I said, hey, what's your name? So we talked. Anyway, one day he was just kind of painting a glum picture about what's going on with our culture. Ah, just so many things. I, I'm not going to say because you all know it's pretty glum. And I asked him a question. I was, I was really hoping he'd give that question back to me, but he never did. But anyway, I said to him, what gives you hope or sustains you during this time? And what he said was, essentially, and I forget his words, but what he said was, I kind of keep my head down, I keep to myself, I, I, I don't see people, I don't, not in my family, my, my family's out in Kansas, I don't want to go back and live with them, I want to be to myself because the world messed up around me. And it is what it is, but we as, as Christians living in the 21st century, especially in this year, in the year 2020, when everything seems to be breaking loose, right? We cannot lose sight of three things. Well, four things. Let me say four things. We cannot lose sight of the fact that we've been delivered on eagle's wings from our sin self. And we cannot lose fact of those three things. The fact that we have this privilege, we have this intimate access to God. We cannot lose sight of the fact that we've been called to be pure in how we act, how we don't act, how we love others. And finally, don't forget this one, we've been called for a purpose. God's call to us uh, to proclaim his name among the nations in order to make more worshipers of God. Amen? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that is new every day. Where we can all just find things that 
uh, applied to us and speak to our hearts. I pray that we would um, just be, be changed by, by your word every day. In the name of your son we pray, amen.